Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Claire. Thank you so much. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Matt. I'm on the team here this morning. And uh, we're carrying on in our sermon series, Following Abraham uh, Through uh, Genesis. Uh, We're in a six-week series, and this is week five. uh, And the series is called The Gift of Faith in Challenging Times. St. Paul in the New Testament describes Abraham as a man of faith. A man because of his faith in God. He became a friend of God. And a person who... Uh, Though he was um, uh, broken, made loads of mistakes, continually got it wrong, was deeply flawed, sound familiar? Um, Speaking for myself, maybe some of you out there. um, He still became a pivotal figure in the unfolding story of God's love and grace for the world. Abraham, you may know, is called the father of nations, but he's also called the father of the faith the father of faith in God. And here at St. Saviors, we're in a season, we believe we're in a season where God is calling us into a deeper relationship with him, a deeper understanding of um, what it means to be in awe of God, uh, to, to be in wonder of God, uh, what it means to do faith in God, to do life with God. And so um, it makes sense for us to spend some time really digging into this man um, and his story. Uh, today's reading is titled Abraham, uh, was titled The Three Visitors. Um, but that's a bit of a boring title and not really what this reading is about. This passage actually has very little to do with Abraham and it has a whole lot more to do with his wife, Sarah. Um, and it has very little to do with Abraham's faith or even Sarah's faith, but it has a whole lot to say about the faithfulness of God. And it has a whole lot to say about laughter. Laughter. Um, When was the last time you really, truly laughed? When was the last time you really, truly laughed? I know I always do this. Turn to your neighbor. Just 10 seconds. When was the last time you really, truly laughed? Share that with your neighbor. Go for it. Okay, and quickly, with, uh, you, you know, turn around, give the other person a chance. When was the last time you really, truly laughed? <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, I have two little babies who are now three months old. And over the last few weeks, they've just started um, to, to smile. You know, those little glimpses you see of a smile. And then over the, a few days, those smiles turn into these really cute little laughs. Uh, laughs of abandonment. And basically, these laughs just express utter joy. Um, but to me, the joy seems a bit sort of unusual in what they're, they're finding so funny. Um, sometimes they'll start laughing, and it's because I've, I've turned on a light bulb. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was me. Uh, they're, they're finding absolute wonder in the smallest things. And that makes them laugh. And um, what we've noticed is the biggest laughs that are coming 
are when Laura, my wife, and I, we start pulling these absolutely ridiculous faces at them, anything to just get them to laugh and giggle. Um, they laugh the most when we're utterly delighting in them. And uh, just as a side note, did you know that God utterly delights in you and me, and he laughs over you and me in love? The point is this, laughter is a necessity to life. If you think about it, and you can take time this afternoon to think about it a little bit more, but when you lose the ability to laugh, you're very quickly on the road to death. Laughter means life. And in today's reading, the point is that God comes into Sarah's life to bring laughter. Sarah laughs. That is what happens in this reading. And I want us to remember from today uh, this one thing, is that God comes into our lives to bring laughter. God comes into our lives to bring laughter. We're going to unpack that a bit more. But God transforms Sarah, uh, Sarah's laugh, um, which is uh, cynical and, and, and bitter, into a laugh of utter joy. And how does he do that? Well, we're going to unpack it now in uh, three little titles. Uh, firstly, that faith in God is personal. Faith in God is personal. Secondly, faith in God is honest. And finally, faith in God is wonder in God's grace. So personal, honest, and wonder in God. These are the three things we're going to learn about faith from this, from this reading today. But before I dive in, why don't we take a moment, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've brought us here right now to this moment. And Lord, we ask that um, all of us would hear your word by your grace would you speak into our hearts would you bring laughter your laughter into our hearts and would you show us what it means to have faith in you that is personal that is honest and that is wondrous in you and we ask this in your name amen so the background to this passage is that um, God has said to Abram I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless all nations through you. How? I'm going to make you into a new people, a new nation from your descendants that will bless the world. And I will do this by giving you a child. Uh, but there's a problem. Abraham and Sarah can't have children. And not only that, but by today's reading, God has given this promise to Abraham and Sarah over 25 years ago. So the, it's been a long time. And um, one day, they're in their tent, and uh, these three travelers, they're in the desert, they're Bedouin people, they're in the desert, and th these three travelers come to the tent of Abraham and Sarah. And uh, they turn out, it turns out that it's the Lord and two angels, though they don't know it yet. And Abraham's first response as a good Bedouin person is to run to them and to offer hospitality. Why? Because in Bedouin culture, one of the highest honors is found in giving hospitality. It's a gift. And when you give that gift of hospitality, you increase in honor. You increase in honor. The desert is an arid and dangerous place. And therefore, hospitality is indispensable to that way of life. And there's this saying in Bedouin culture that's this. Today's guest is tomorrow's host. So it's no wonder that in the reading, we see Abraham running to these strangers to say, let me offer you some food, let me offer you some drink, would you come and rest? 
And it's at these points when they've agreed that Abraham is, is, is feeding them. And Sarah is just on the inside of the tent. Abraham's outside with them. Sarah's just on the inside. And in verse 9, um, one of the travelers says this, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham says, she's right there. She's just in the, in the tent right there. And verse 10, the Lord reveals himself here and says, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Why has the Lord come? Why has he appeared? He's come for Sarah. He's come personally to encounter her and to speak to her. And from this point in the passage, the interaction is with Sarah, not with Abraham. And let's not forget that God has already um, spoken to Abraham. He's appeared to Abraham. Uh, just last week, we heard from Matt um, speaking about Abraham uh, and God, God encountering Abraham in the darkness of the night, speaking with a booming voice, carrying a blazing fiery torch and animals being torn in two and then walking and God walking through it. It was very dramatic. But here, God is now appearing to Sarah gently in the brightness of day. He's a weary traveler, thirsty, hungry, um, and he's come to speak to her. Sarah would have already known this promise. If you think about it, she's already got all the information. Abraham would have shared it with her. So why um, is God coming to Sarah? And this is quite important. Sarah believes in God, but she personally hasn't met him yet. Everything she knows about God has been through Abraham. And that's not good enough. It's not good enough to know God through someone else. Let me give you an example. I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, my parents went to church, so therefore I went to church. My parents prayed, and therefore I prayed. My parents sang songs of worship, and therefore I sang songs of worship. But it wasn't until I was about 12 or 13 that I needed to know, I found that I needed to know God for myself. Firstly, at a, at a funeral I was at, I suddenly realized that a death was real, that was coming for me, and that was a bit scary. And so I prayed that God would keep me safe. But later on, a few, I can't quite remember, it was a few, years later, a few months later or the next year, I was at a Christian camp, and I heard about God's love, and something spoke to me really deeply inside, that God loved me, and he wanted to um, live within me. And I knew that I needed to give my life to him. And so that evening around a campfire, when people were just chitter-chattering, I suddenly got up and said, I just want everyone to know that today I gave my life to Jesus. And um, I don't know why I suddenly said that, or I just felt this conviction to say it, but everyone was a little awkward because I sort of said it out loud and I felt quite awkward about it. Um, but it was really beautiful because someone just stood up and gave me a hug and said, thank you so much for sharing that. The point is this, like Sarah, I knew all about God, but I realized I hadn't had a personal encounter with him, and I'd known God at arm's length, and I was relating to God through others. And that's helpful for a time, but ultimately you need to know God personally, relationship, friendship. It's not enough to know about God. You have to have a personal experience with him and of him. Jesus says in Re Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them. Remember that, that hospitality element, eating with them. 
You may be here this morning because someone's brought you. You may be here because your family always goes to church. You may broadly like to think about God or or know about God, but I want to ask, have you encountered God? It's vulnerable, it's risky, it may even feel like it will turn your life upside down. But God desires nothing less than personal encounter with you and me. And he's knocking on the door. The question is, will you let him in? Sarah gets a visit from God, not for more information. She already has it. But to have a personal encounter with God, you've got to have one. Nothing else will suffice. Just take a moment. Why are you here today? Do you realize that God is calling you? He wants to know you. Faith is personal. Secondly, faith is honest. God comes to Sarah to speak to her. What does he say? You're going to have a son within a year's time. What's Sarah's response? To laugh. To laugh. Verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Sarah laughs, but what kind of laughter is it? And here's what we need to honest, uh, notice about the honesty of Sarah's laughter. There's absolutely no pretense. There's no pretense. There's no pretending in this laughter. The original word here for worn out has very strong negative accommodations. It's not simply that she's tired or um, lacking um, a bit of energy. It sort of indicates that she feels useless. There's a sort of sense of self-loathing. Sarah's not simply saying that she's old, but she's being very negative about herself and her circumstances. And the word for pleasure here is not uh, what we might expect either. She's not saying after um, I'm this old, will I have the pleasure of having a child? The the Hebrew word for, um, uh, for pleasure here means sexual pleasure with her husband, with Abraham. So what she is saying is, I'm utterly worn out. My husband hasn't been intimate with me in many years, and you're saying that I'm going to have a child. That's impossible. Notice how honest she's being with God about her circumstances and how she feels about them. Didn't we do that in the prayers? Faith is about being honest about our situation. Things are difficult. Things are a mess, and we only need to look around to see that God We can only bring it to you. We can only be honest with you. And when she hears what God has to say, she laughs. But it's a bitter laugh. It's a scoff. It's a laugh with cynicism. What she's basically uh, saying to God is, what you have to say to me is, it's laughable. It's impossible. It's laughable. And you have to realize in Sarah's culture, to not have a child would have been... um, deeply humiliating, deeply shameful. Uh, Even a couple chapters earlier, Sarah Sarah and Abraham have tried to fulfill this promise on their own steam by Abraham um, having uh, sex with Hagar, one of the slaves. So she is desperate for this to happen. And now God comes and says, you are going to have a child. And she laughs. She's basically laughing in God's face. And how does God react? How would you expect God to react if you laughed in his face? 
How dare you speak to me like that? How dare you laugh in my face? No, instead, God gently, he gently restates Sarah's objection. But he takes out all the negative stuff. Um, In verse 13, he simply says, uh, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? He's taken out all the the, the pleasure stuff, the utterly worn out stuff. Um, He then says in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah, you will have a son. And suddenly Sarah's response is to be afraid. And so she lies to God. Uh, uh, In verse 13, God says, why did you laugh? And verse 14, she says, no, I I didn't laugh. That that wasn't me. (laughs) Um, God's response isn't to explode in her face. Um, How dare you lie to me? But he sort of says, oh, but you did laugh. You know, just honestly, openly, like, you you did laugh. Isn't that amazing? We can be totally honest with God, even to the point of of lying to ourselves and to him in front of him, and he'll simply say, no, you you did laugh. I'll tell you the truth. The point is this. There can be no pretense before God. You have to be honest with him. There's no choice. Faith isn't about faking your way with God. God comes personally to each one of us, and all we can say is, this is who I am. This is what I've got. Nothing more, nothing less. Faith has to be honest. And that can be really difficult. Because it means we have to be honest with ourselves. It may mean that we have to say, I've got nothing but shame, or weakness, or anger, or bitterness, or even despair. It may even mean that we say, God, I don't even believe you can do this. I'm actually just full of doubt. It's impossible for you to say what you say is true. And the beauty is that God doesn't explode at us. He doesn't roar in our faces, how dare you? He just reassures and and says, "I'm I'm coming. I'm coming back next year. Don't laugh. So let's take a moment. How... Have you come to God this morning? How, are you, how have you come before God this morning? How have I come before God this morning? Are we trying to buffer ourselves up, earn our way in, I did this, I did that, therefore I'm good enough? Or I didn't do this, or I didn't do that, therefore I'm not good enough? No, before God, it's irrelevant. Just come before God. That's all he wants. Personal and honest and God says I hear you let me reassure you so faith is personal faith is honest and then finally faith is full of wonder the wonder of God's grace for Sarah things are not looking good and uh God's response is her, to her is to say this, is anything too hard for the Lord? That's what it says, verse 13. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's how he responds. And the word here used for hard literally translates as wonder. God is literally saying, is anything too wonderful for me? 
Sarah's full of doubt and cynicism and bitterness because her laughter is devoid of wonder. She laughs because her situation is impossible and God's response is to say, would you dare to wonder in me? Would you dare to wonder? Remember that little story I shared at the beginning with my kids finding utter joy and laughing in wonder in the light bulb. Um, Kids are full of wonder. It's not hard to make them laugh. But the older we get, the problem is we lose wonder. It gets harder and harder to fill the heart with wonder. And that's bad because without wonder, like without laughter, we begin to lose the meaning of life. And we live in a culture that loves to deconstruct things, to, to pull things apart, to, um, to, to analyze, to uh, over-justify, whatever it is. Um, and the problem is, when you do this, you're, you're left on the sidelines, never daring to believe and step into the middle. Never daring to believe that there's something greater than yourself. There's something greater beyond us. Um, St. Saviour's is a story of wonder. (laughs) Um, A daring to believe that despite all the circumstances, God would do something remarkable. Um, Where objectively the stats, this is four years ago, I think we're coming up to four years since St. Saviour's relaunched. The stats were, um, it's a place that should be shut down. We should sell the church, sell the property. Nothing good's going to come of it. Um, Nothing could thrive here. Uh, There's no point. Um, But God said to a few people, some of them here, um, is anything too wonderful for me? Is anything impossible for me? Would you dare to wonder what could be in this place? And thank God that some people did, and a bunch of us got involved along the way. The gospel is wonder. In the Bible, God comes and says, I've got a story for you that is the ultimate story. And if you dare to believe in it, if you're willing to receive it, if you're willing to look beyond yourself, there's wonder to be found. And you'll see things that were impossible change. In Genesis 21, we read that Sarah doesn't have a son. And what's interesting in uh, 21 verse 6 Uh, She says this, God has brought me laughter. Obviously, Sarah's been laughing through her life at different points. We can assume there was some kind of laughter. But her laughter, she says, God has brought me laughter. Uh, Her laughter is transformed. It's no longer bitter and cynical, but now it is full of wonder because of what God has done in her and through her. Where did this laughter come from? It came from the grace of God. Chapter 21, verse 1 says this, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. The grace of God came into her life and overcame the impossibility of her situation. And Isaac, her son, was born. And did you know what Isaac literally translates as? Laughter. Isaac means laughter. Laughter. Before, without wonder, there was the cynical, bitter laugh. 
that tries to get rid of um, despondency and there's a nervousness about it. It's basically a laughter that tries to compensate for, for what is missing and, and anxiety, basically. But the laughter of grace says God has overcome the impossible with his power. And Sarah is now wondering in laughter at what God has done through his grace. Faith is personal. God wants to be in relationship with you. He desires you. Faith is honest. We can only be as we are before him. And faith is an invitation into the wonder of God's grace. But there is a danger in reading this text. Um, And the danger is this, that we can come away thinking, um, if I just am personal enough with God, if I'm just honest enough with God, and um, if I just wonder hard enough, if I just pray enough, if I just raise my expectations enough, and of course nothing is impossible for God, right? That's what the Bible says. Then surely God will just give me what I want right? No, that's not what this says. Firstly, in case you didn't notice, Sarah does not believe. She does not have any faith. She literally laughs in God's face. So that rules out that. Um, Secondly, what we see in Jesus, the Son of God who came to the uh, world for you and for me, um, is the greatest person who ever lived in the world, whose prayer life was better than any of us could ever muster, who had more faith than you and me could ever pull together, Um, he had his prayers turned down. And he was abandoned by his friends and said, why, God, have you forsaken me? Why should we think we can do better than him? When we read this passage, we read it through the lens of Jesus It was not Sarah's faith or her prayers that brought her Isaac. It was the son of life born into the world through the grace of God. And it's the story of God's grace entering this world. It's all about God. Faith is all about God and it rests all on God. It's about what he does for us, not what we can do for him. And so this passage points to Jesus. And we actually see this in in the New Testament. If you turn to Luke chapter 1, which uh, sort of of unfolds the Christmas narrative, which we're coming up to in a few months, um, it says says this. We see an angel. It doesn't literally say this. I'm saying, (laughs) I'm paraphrasing. There's an angel who shows up uh, to another woman centuries later. And this angel says to her, you will bear a child. You will have a son. And it's, it's Mary, of course. And Mary's response is very similar to Sarah's. How can this, how can this be? Um, Mary is as skeptical as Sarah is. Uh, and if it's not impossible for an old husband and wife to have a son, it's much more impossible for a woman who's, who's not even married to have a son in this culture. So when Mary says, how can this be? The angel says... Nothing is impossible with God. Why is Luke playing this parallel with this, uh, this, the narrative, the Christmas narrative with Mary and the angel and Sarah and Abraham and uh, the angel, the Lord coming to visit them? Because 
Jesus is the true Isaac. Jesus is the ultimate son of promise, the ultimate one in whom we hear and experience and come to know the wonder of God's grace triumphing over the impossible. Our situation is far worse than Sarah's. Our situation isn't about infertility. The ultimate Isaac, Jesus, comes to deal with our sin, our death, the things we were were praying about earlier, the mess of this world and the mess within us. That's the impossible situation. And Jesus comes in grace and wonder to transform us from the inside out, where sin is forgiven, uh, forgiven and death is overcome, all by the grace of God. Jesus in the Bible is described as a man of sorrows, but he comes so that we would be called children of God, that we would know the delight and laughter of God over us, and that we would laugh in response because God's grace is just amazing. It's like, it's amazing grace. And you, can't, you can't begin to articulate it. And, and so God comes into our lives to transform what was so sinful and awful and weak and broken and, and bitter and, and fragile and what was done to us and what we've done to others. God comes in his, in his grace and transforms us in the way that we can look at that and go, I cannot believe it. All I can do is laugh. Look at what God has done. Look at what God has done. And that's the story of of Sarah's faith. Faith that is about a personal encounter with God. God wants to encounter you. You can't live your faith. You can't believe vicariously through someone else. He's calling you. Will you open the door? He needs you to be honest. You can't pretend, and it's okay, because he's big enough. I'm a total mess. I am, but I'm saying you could say that. Um, I am a total mess. You just ask Laura. But you can say, I'm a total mess. And God says, let me reassure you. Let me reassure you. Let me tell you it's going to be okay. Let me show you some of my promises, and let me introduce you to the wonder of my grace. Amen. Let's stand.